0: Hello, hello, hello! This is Chris and Eric Songbox Adventure. I am Chris. Oh, sorry, sorry, I (laughs) fucked that up. I'll I'll redo it. Um.
1: Oh no, we're fine. It's I think it's funny if we mess it up once.
0: Okay. Um, that's Chris. I'm Eric. This is part free of free of our discussion of Final Crisis, aka dense event comics. The conclusion.
1: This is probably the last time we're reading a like strictly event comic. Like I think we'll read. We'll wind up doing some crossovers eventually, maybe, but never like you know those event comics that have a mini series as like a self titled thing and tie ins the most we'll ever do is like Ten of Swords where it's like each part is in a different book.
0: The thing about Ten of Swords is that it's good. And if it's good, does it count as an event comic?
1: Yes, this is good. I would argue that this is good. Uh so first off if you haven't listened to our previous two episodes, you're not gonna understand a word of what we're saying here. So just go back and listen to them. Anti-life justifies our overly complex Comic book narratives, probably. Uh, so, heading into Final Crisis number four. Oh, yeah, we're reading Final Crisis number four through seven today. Um, Final Crisis four is written by Grant Morrison, as are all of these, with art by J.G. Jones, Carlos Pacheco, and Jesus Marino, Alex Sinclair on colors, Rob Lee as the letterer, and J.G. Jones at the cover, which is a really cool cover of Dark Side with like doing a little omega symbol like weird fist thing
0: have we really before this point discussed the covers much i know we did with superman beyond but i don't know if we've really commented on the sort of motif of the main series's covers where it's essentially just like each one is just like this dramatic shot of like an a-list dc character like across we basically get like the Trinity, Green Lantern, Flash, Dark Side, and Supergirl. I think this one might be the best one. I think it's a bit more dynamic color wise between the way that the blue and the purple pops against the black. I think this Dark Side cover is probably the best one
1: to me. This is the definitive like image of Dark Side. That might just be because this was like the first Dark Side comic I read, but also like it looks really cool. And it looks like Darkseid should. Like, it's not some weird redesign where everything is like metal and armor. It's like just a modern drawing of the classic outfit.
0: It also, like, feels appropriate for... Oh, it's his...
1: terrifying looking.
0: Yeah, it feels appropriate that this is where we get the Dark side cover, because where we're starting today is basically, like, where shit has most fully hit the fan we're sort of going from oh bad shit is happening we're building up to it and it's starting to we've basically hit the point where dark side and the forces of apocalypse have essentially won and all that's left is a relatively small resistance like we're in the fully like dark side has accomplished his goal sort of moment of the story.
1: Yeah, so the first three pages are dramatizing everyone receiving the anti-life equation that was loosed onto the internet at the end of Final Crisis number three. Now, because of the sort of insane way that this comic is laid out, we've already covered Final Crisis Submit, which is set after this. But before the fourth page of this, which is set several weeks later. Uh, Oh, and the anti-life equation vibrator appears to just be saying mean things out loud with, like, plus and, sorry, my cat decided to try and eat the book. Um, Oh, no, it's bad. He's got a ribbon addiction. He's I don't know why. He eats any ribbons he can find. Oh, To fold it up. He's already eaten the ribbon off of this, but there's, like, a tiny bit, and he decided to come attack it. And now he's on (laughs) the desk. (laughs) Get down! What are you doing? why are you looking that? It's a book. Stop. Where High
0: the burns. hell was I? <laughs> Hi, Burns. You were saying that the anti-life equation is basically, it's like the phrases with mathematical symbols between them.
1: Yeah, which like, the horrifying concept of the anti-life equation is, it's, it's kind of funny, but this is how it is. When we finally hear some of it, this is what it is. It's just like, Self-worth, divided by mockery, divided by condemnation, divided by misunderstanding.
0: For my own benefit, I suppose, what's the full historical context here? Like, had the anti-life equation concept existed before this comic and we'd never seen it written out? Or had it been written out before and this is just the first time in the story? Or what sort of the historical layout of, like, this idea
1: So, I mean, foundational to the fourth world is that Darkseid is looking for the anti-life equation, and for some reason, he knows that someone on Earth will have access to it. Um, We talked about this two episodes ago, but, like, Sonny Sumo in the original Jack Kirby stuff had access to the anti-life equation, like, part of it at least, and was able to use some of its power um, against people. And then there's another character who was, like, a used car salesman who had it, um, and he wound up, like, dying, uh, which prevented Darkseid from getting it off of him, um, so, like, it's always been his motivation since the start to, like, try and get the anti-life equation. The- everything I've read on the wikis, because that's kind of- my- my fourth world knowledge is the first half of the original fourth book, because I still haven't finished that omnibus, because it's huge, and, like, this- and some wiki stuff, and then the awful Jeff Johns New Fifty Two stuff, which I have read. I've read Dark Side War. It's not good, but I've read it. Uh, apparently, at some point, the Anti Life Equation was a living being. I don't know. It may also be connected to the Anti Monitor because Jeff Johns can't stop himself.
0: Okay, but like, I, I think this is eventually... the first time we've
1: seen it written out. Probably. Okay. Okay. I think so, because this is the first time he's had it. This is the only story where he's got it, because he doesn't have it in the New 52 stuff and and stuff since then. He's, like, lost it somehow. I'm like, I don't know how, like, you learned it.
0: So it's just always been a thing that he's been striving for and looking for, but never actually getting?
1: Yeah, this is, this is the, the Thanos has the Infinity Stones story. And every other story has been, Thanos is searching for the Infinity Stones. Okay. Or gems. I should say gems. I mean, I, I, I knew about them before they did them in the movies. And I still say stones. I've been stone-pilled. Anyway. So we jump forward weeks later after, you know, on the ground it's pretty clear that everything's real bad. The Justifiers are... I think we said they were literally driving around in police cars before, and here they're, like, beating people in the street. Uh, but there's a couple survivors. So there's... We see the Ray arriving at the Hall of Justice, which is protected by a big force field. Um with a bunch of copies of the Daily Planet, which apparently is still being printed from this Fortress of Solitude.
0: Yeah, and like, both of these are sort of like among the last couple, like, defended bases on Earth of just like, where superhumans that aren't infected are sort of like, holed up and barely managing to keep Darkseid's forces back. I think they say, like, exactly how many there are at some point, but I'm pretty sure it's, like, a single-digit number. There's not a lot of strongholds left standing.
1: Yeah, it's like this, the actual Watchtower, the Fortress of Solitude, like, Checkmate's Base, uh, Black Adam's Palace in (laughs) Condock. Like, it's very, very few places left. Um, but Ray has just also couldn't help
0: yourself, in... but to pick a comic where Black Adam is so prominent, could you? Black Adam, Black has Adam some, fan like, that you are.
1: Relative page time in this for like a dumb character who is bad. Though well, I said it. I think he's dumb in the comics too. I don't get what Jeff John sees in him.
0: I think just as a general rule, I'm not a fan of any time that Marvel or DC make up a middle eastern or asian or african country to like do something with that region of the world but also have a fake country to not offend anything specific except it's just still generally offensive and black adam is so intrinsically tied to that that i don't know what the fuck you would do with him to get away from that
1: The one exception is Wakanda, but the benefit Wakanda has in that is, A, it's, like, the one that didn't get colonized, so it's, it's not got, like, the negative stereotypes necessarily associated with it, and, like, a lot of Black people have done a lot of writing and work to make it really developed over the last, like, 20 years, whenever the Priest run started. Yeah. I think, actually, the run before that, but I don't remember who that was, but certainly Priest. But, like, that's the only one where I'm like, hell yeah! Wakanda stuff. I'm never excited to see Kandak, or, um... What's the one run by the B-Lady in DC? I'm like, how many fake Middle Eastern nations do you need? But Bil- Bilapia, I want to say? I have no idea. It's in the Young Justice cartoon a lot. Which, like, I understand it a little bit more on something that has to air on Cartoon Network. I suppose. Anyway, the Ray has saved the Tattoo Man from... Uh, uh, from Final Crisis Submit that we just read and so we have in this Watchtower, uh, sorry, not in this Watchtower in the Hall of Justice we we have now Ray, Tattooed Man, Green Arrow who's great in this I think, Oracle which is Barbara Gordon if you don't know her history. At this point she is still Oracle and Black Canary. Oh and like the Wally West's kids? Those are Wally's kids right? No
0: idea. Some little flash children.
1: Yeah, those are Wally's kids. Yeah. Yeah, because they're they're the ones who are back now that they've decided to stop Heroes and Crisising that character. Um, and the oh, Jay Garrick's wife, Joan. And there's like a lot of tension between Green Arrow and Tattooed Man, because Tattooed Man still hates superheroes. And Green Arrow is for, like the big lefty superhero being kind of a jackass about like the possibility of like doing some non-carceral work with this man here
0: just very assuming that he's one of the bad guys as if every single one of the bad guys isn't wearing the exact same helmet and as if none of them can talk but how do i say um and as if they're not all talking in the same like halted dark side anti-life speak whereas tattooed man is acting completely normal
1: the secret societies still have their minds.
0: The tattooed man is not in the Legion of Doom, so...
1: <laughs> Admittedly, I, it is a bit like, I mean, he is such a minor member of all of this, you think that they would have bothered to leave him alone, but like, maybe it's a double bluff. Like, I get being, like, suspicious, but I do think his reaction is quite a lot here. Yeah. Uh, so... We find out that the strike force sent to Bloodhaven to try and like fight back uh all got massacred and that this is one of the like few remaining like basically it's just establishing stuff we told you. At which point we cut to Dan Turpin, who we last saw um getting like wired into a chair, um as we realize that he was being slowly possessed by Dark Side, and that's continuing. And it's established that the bodies that all of the new gods have manifested in can't, like, hold in the whole godness. Because they're they're just, like, in normal human bodies. Even the weird-looking ones, it's just, like, a genetically engineered body. Like, they're not in their god form anymore. So they're all starting to, like, decay and rot away. And they're all worried about, like, not being able to survive into, like, Darkseid's new world that he's going to create once he's done eradicating Dan Turpin's soul and we see that Calibak, who is Darkseid's son that isn't Orion um I have no idea who he had him with or Orion actually who's Darkseid's like girlfriend
0: I don't know I guess does he even have like a queen or is it just sort of like may or may not have Either a, like, literal concubines, or just whoever he feels like at any given point is part of the whole dictatorial thing.
1: You're right, it probably is just random slaves, isn't it? Oh, God. Probably. His mother was a queen, so, like, Apocalypse has had them. He killed her, obviously, <laughs> to take over. <laughs> but she was awful, too. Naturally. Uh. Well, Kalabak has- he's normally, like, a big- guy with like fur but um now they've put him in the body of a humanoid tiger like the classic captain marvel character talky tawny they have basically cloned talky Tony and put calabac in talky tawny tawny is amazing i've only ever read him in this and then like one other captain marvel thing but he is by far my favorite Cap- by captain marvel i mean shazam <laughs> for the listeners who may not know the like History of those names,
0: not Carol Danvers with the bad haircut.
1: Yeah, or like Captain Marvel, not the Marvel ones, the 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 Fawcett comics, then DC Comics character,
0: the supposed Superman ripoff.
1: Barely. I see. I'm just like, but the basic concept is entirely different. Like, yes, the end result is a smiley guy with black hair and a big cape in a brightly colored outfit saving people but so is like 90% of superhero comics
0: yeah <laughs> what,
1: what the hell is wrong with people
0: very cynical litigation that we talked about last time but
1: yeah Um, uh, and Dan Turpin's fucking losing it here he is having a very hard time holding like dark side in any longer his body is like Gone that sort of gray color that Darkseid did. He's got lines all over him that look a lot like the sort of stony lines that like Darkseid has. Um, it's also pretty clear that this is a very painful transformation. You can see like blood seeping out of him, it's like weird face lines. And after those two pages, we we cut back to the Hall of Justice. We have the biggest and most obvious art shift so far. Because we, we just had a couple of pages that were Jones, for sure. And now uh, we have, it's not, this must be the Jesus Marino stuff. Because I don't think this is P- Pacheco. And I got to admit, here, the shift in the art is really noticeable. And I don't quite, I don't, I don't really like it. Yeah. I don't think this art's bad, it's just, like, fine. But it's, it's the, this is one of the places where, like, the page turn and the style change. I'm like, ooh, that's a bit of a shift.
0: It's just a very generic superhero house style from the 2000s. Like, you know, I don't look at it and think like, oh, this person can't draw, but it also doesn't do anything exciting for me. And it's not just the line work, but also like the inking and the coloration is also suddenly like out of a completely different book.
1: Yeah, the Pacheco stuff, which I think is a lot of the stuff that opened it, it blends quite well with Jones's work, I think, and this just sort of doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but basically, the team in the Hall of Justice come up with an idea to use the secret internet run by the super criminals. In order to send out a message to the uh, other, like, remaining bases. Because all of their communications have been down because they can't open up anything. Because every single communications network has been infected with the anti-life equation. And is now just broadcasting that 24-7. In order to, like, catch anyone who tries to communicate with anyone else. Uh, But this, like, network obviously hasn't been corrupted because the supervillains use it. And so they're able to get in contact with Mr. Terrific and everyone at Checkmate, which is currently under attack, and um, Jay Garrick, who is, for some reason, the leader of everybody left. I don't know. Is, is Jay Garrick, like, the leader of the JSA at this point? I don't know.
0: Do you mean Jay Derrick, or is it Alan Scott?
1: Oh my god, it's Alan Scott. I, why am I saying Golden Age Flash when I mean Golden Age Green Lantern?
0: I mean, they are both the... Golden Age, irrelevant old men.
1: Yeah, who's, like, just a different thing. Well, I guess Jay Garrick has been retconned to be a Speed Force-empowered character, but, like, they haven't been able to make Alan Scott actually a Green Lantern core member.
0: Yeah, this is Golden Age Green Lantern, whose outfit is very red for a Green Lantern, and... It's like red and purple, it's very, like, yeah. I guess... Regardless of God knows how the continuity stands at this point, during crises, post two other crises, I guess if nothing else, he's still supposed to just be an old experienced figure that people would recognize, I suppose. And we get an obligatory shot of him in front of a screen with headshots of a couple dozen of her superheroes half of whom have X's over their faces, and they have texts underneath of them, all uh the cover to Days of Future Past, where it just says things like, deceased, off-world, missing in action, all of the most powerful people on the screen being included among those, so that the only ones who are still around are like Huntress and Wildcat.
1: It has Earth to Superman on there, and I'm like- Didn't he die in Infinite Crisis? Like, he's not been around for two years of comics. Including, like, in-universe, because 52 and Countdown happened, and both of those took place over a year. Why is he there? I'm just like, hang on, there's two Supermen on here, and one of them is older, and has the Grey Temples.
0: You would know better than me. And if you don't know, I suppose we just don't know.
1: Maybe just because it's a crisis and we feel obliged to have Earth 2 Superman show. Which, like, it is so weird to me that the last story of the original version of Superman is fucking Infinite Crisis.
0: I know nothing of the implications or anything of that.
1: He's kind of a villain for most of it. Because he's bought into the idea that they need to reboot everything it's very, it's a very odd way to close off that character in my opinion. I, it's been a little while since I read it, but I I was even when I read it I was just like what is this? This is like the original Superman. This feels misguided. Uh and so we have like the thing where we get to see a bunch of the different heroes like a lot of superheroes did not look at their phones, luckily
0: too busy superheroing to be on their phones.
1: Yeah, because there's a bunch of people at the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Talky Tiny is there. That's important for later. And Supergirl. Um, there is a. Oh, what was what was the name of that comic? The JLA Confidential that Morrison did. There's a reference to that, because like the Superbia and Warmaker and stuff is from that. And like they only ever show up when Morrison wants to like reference that comic and act as though anyone else has ever done anything with those characters. Maybe I'm wrong and they've been in stuff that I've never heard of. But like.
0: Not that I've seen.
1: Yeah, I can't remember their names at all, aside from, I'm like, no, but that's what that is. Um, Watchtower Forge, I don't know what this is, because they're they're calling them all Watchtowers, but, like, the Ultramarine Corps. That's the guys from uh, JLA Classified.
0: Yeah, the way that they refer to all of the bases as Watchtowers. Yeah, Watchtower Forge... Seems like it would be... Not the decision that I would make, because I hear Watchtower, and I specifically think of the base on the moon.
1: I think it's Gorilla City. What do you mean? Watchtower 4, because it's in the jungle. There's, like, jungle trees, and there's a city.
0: Oh, no, I just mean, like, the fact that they're, like, using the term Watchtower for each one. Oh, I hate it. Yeah.
1: That just seems unnecessarily confusing to me. I'm, like, just call the places by their names. Literally none of these places are, like, another Watchtower. There is the Watchtower, which is the one that I nearly said Jay Garrick again. Alan Scott is in. And then everywhere else has a different name. Yeah, But yeah, I think it's Guerrilla City. I mean, Barna Beast is there. That's fun. That's a, that's a crazy looking character you don't get to see too much. Um, and so Captain Marvel Jr., who I think at this point is maybe just Captain Marvel, because, like, Billy is somewhere else. I don't know Shazam family continuity here, or Marvel family at this point. Uh, it's trying to convince Black Adam to join them, and Black Adam is like, oh, you know what, fine, because they're going to go ahead and attack Bloodhaven. So the like the coordination is, we're all going to just go and attack Bloodhaven. Um, and so we go back to the Hall of Justice, and Tattooed Man is able... So if in Final Crisis, event, at the very end of it, uh, Black Lightning showed Tattooed Man the sigil... That is the one that Metron gave humanity, um, that we've seen throughout this book manifesting in different places, people finding cave drawings, crop circles, and now Tattooed Man knows about it and he's able to manifest it on his skin, and he goes, like, all silver, and he looks a lot like Metron, actually, uh, but that's when the shield drops, or, like, breaks, and so all the justifiers outside are going to be able to get into the Hall of Justice, And, like, there's a small army of them, so there's not really any chance that these heroes have. But there's a teleportation room, but there's, like, no way of activating it. We cut immediately to the Flashes, who, when we last saw them at the end of Final Crisis 3, had just been, like, faced down by the female Furies, who were, um, in this case, Wonder Woman, Batwoman, Catwoman, and Giganta, uh, here referred to as Gigantrix, because, of course, she is. Uh, But they have run away because they're the Flash and they're fast. And so Barry has a moment of hopelessness because he can, he knows that Darkseid's, so what's happening with Darkseid right now, I might as well just explain this now because you're going to come to understand it over the course of the story. But basically, Darkseid is dying and as he is dying, he is turning into a black hole that is dragging the entire universe down, which because this is Earth Prime, and therefore the central like part of the multiverse, it's dragging the rest of it down to like a cosmic drain pipe. So if you imagine a bath filled with water, and that water is the multiverse, and in it you have a bunch of rubber duckies, and those rubber duckies are the different universes in the multiverse. Earth Prime is the plug on the bath, and Darkseid's pulling it out of the drain by dying.
0: Sure. Why not? If
1: that if that makes sense. That's how I visualize it. Because we literally see later, it looks like it's sort of a, a swirling pattern of bleed heading down towards where Earth Prime is. Which is, you know, now being wrecked by just, like, time is weird because of Darkseid. And, like, the distortion caused by being everyone's kind of on an event horizon of a black hole. Metaphysically speaking. Because, like, Darkseid doesn't look like a black hole. Oh, it's very strange. But that's basically what's happening. Uh, but and Wally I... and Barry are able to reconnect and hug, and uh, you, you notice an immediate problem, which is they're both wearing the exact same design of Flash suit.
0: Yeah, they are look, impossible to distinguish between for me.
1: I th- There's no... Def- I'm like, I guess at this point Wally was wearing an exact replica of Barry's suit, because like he normally has a slightly different design. Like, normally Wally has, like, the all-white eyes, and, like, the suit material is, like, normally shiny and reflective. But here they're both in just, like, the red spandex with the, like, wing motif rather than the lightning motif on the ears. And the yellow boots, and, like, the same symbol. And, yeah, that's confusing. I would have had him wear something at least a bit different. The the white eyes would help a lot. I think it was the white eyes and then a different way of coloring them. But they both just... Yeah. Uh, so Wally is worried about his family, but Barry is very confident that they were able to make it to safety, and he drops Flash Fact, uh, which proves that Grant Morrison is a huge dork. Not that we didn't already know that, but anyone making a Flash Fact reference, it's like oh, you liked Barry Allen? No one liked Barry Allen, relatively speaking. <laughs> it's really nerdy for you to be a Barry Allen specific fan.
0: I feel like it's just a generational thing, like not to call Grant Morrison old in a in a pejorative sense, but Grant Morrison is old.
1: Yeah, but like, yeah, I I I always just got the impression that everyone kind of agreed that Wally was better <laughs> until you know the two people who like Barry more than Wally, which is just Grant Morrison and Jeff Johns, took over. But I don't mind Barry coming back. It's just more that like Wally went away. That's the problem. Yeah. So, the Furies come after them, and there's a little fight scene where they they are able to stop them because the Flashes are stupid fast, like, these people were outrunning death, like the embodiment of the concept of death earlier in this comment, so even with, like, an evil Wonder Woman there, there's not much that the female Furies can honestly do against them. Uh, And they zip away. Wally is very worried that Wonder Woman was one of them, which, like, yeah, that 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 is bad news. And so we cut, once again, back to the Hall of Justice. And I really like the sequence. So basically they need to teleport everyone. Uh, they, they, They're gonna be able to teleport everyone by using the Ray to power up the, um, like, teleporter because of a thing with his powers. Doesn't really matter. Um... The Ray assumes that, like he's been assuming this whole time, that the two man was a superhero. So there's a bit where uh, tattooed man is like, "Okay, you like superheroes are fucking nuts," and Ray's like, uh, "I thought you were a superhero. Like the rest of us, we do this kind of thing all the time, don't we?" Which, like, I think is is continuing like the the supposed sort of redemption of this guy. He doesn't seem to have ever been that bad to begin with, frankly. So. I don't know. Uh, but then Green Arrow realizes that if they use the teleporters, they'll work again. And so the justifiers will follow everyone after they go. So someone needs to stay behind to wreck the teleporter. And so he, listeners, if you don't know, Black Canary and Green Arrow, despite what that entire fucking TV show would tell you, are like one of the best couples in comics, I would say. They're, like, up there with Superman and Lois and Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And so Ollie makes sort of the the judgment call that since Canary is the leader of the Justice League at this point, which, yeah, I think she is the highest ranking person left with, like, the Trinity gone, for sure. Uh, Tattooed Man obviously has his, like, magical tattoo that they need to keep a hold of. Uh, and the ray is like activating the machine, is like the light power in it or whatever. He needs to be the one who stays behind to wreck stuff. And so it's, he assures them that he will be fine because he will use the anti-anti-life arrow. And so as they teleport away, in come the justifiers, riding their big evil dogs. And, you know, the, the the justifiers shout the stuff they sort of just, they shout, like, the anti-life justifies our actions, destroy, you know, hate, all that stuff. And Ollie fires a bunch of ours and takes out a bunch of them and a bunch of their big evil dogs, shouting, Well, my absolute hatred of dog-riding totalitarian bullshit justifies this. But that's when the Black Lightning justifier shows up. Um, so again, this is following up on Submit, where at the end we saw that Black Lightning had been taken over and he's able to electrocute Ollie, uh, but he had managed to destroy, like, the teleporter ahead of time, and as he fights and argues up until the last moment, they slip a helmet over the head of Ollie, and he becomes a justifier as well. So It's all bad news, pretty much, but most of them were able to get away with. But yeah, aside from, like, being as suspicious of a tattooed man that he was, I really like the way that Morrison writes Ollie. It's kind of a shame that there's no, like, I guess, isn't there like one issue of the Green Latin run that they did where Ollie is in it? Because it's like reuniting him with Hal Jordan and doing like that team up.
0: I wouldn't know.
1: There should be more Oliver, because he was dead when they did their original JLA run, so he's not in any of it. There should be more like Morrison and Ollie stuff because I like that they actually acknowledge the fact that he is supposed to be a big old lefty. Yeah. Rather than Batman with a bow and arrow. And so Black Canary takes like a panel to mourn for Oliver and then immediately gets to business uh reviewing like the weapons of the Watchtower in orbit. And so the offensive on Blood Rate Haven has started up again. We get two panels of them. Uh it's being led by Alan Scott and Hot Girls. They're like, it's a lot of JSA characters, I guess. And they realize that a lot of the enemy Justifiers are now, like, fellow superheroes. But also now the sky is red, and it is raining blood. Dan Turpin's wired up into the machines. He is clearly desperately trying to tell all of the giggling evil gods around him to kiss his ass. But he's not able to get it out, as they attach the the weird head thing that Darkseid wears to him. And Godfrey says... Give us a sign, great Dark Side. Thumbs up for the triumph of the human spirit, or thumbs down to summon a day of Holocaust that will never end. We see once again cutting away. Um, maybe the least subtle bit of dark side as like the ultimate capitalism villain here. Um, there's a bunch of people who are clearly enslaved making justifier helmets. There is a big sign in this factory saying "To die on the job is to die for Darkside." Work, consume, die are being like played over the loudspeakers as everyone just leaves the factory and wanders out to go home. But it's justifies driving around in cop cars that have been printed with, like, painted with Darkside's omega symbol, beating the crap out of people in the street. Um, as we follow Wally's wife, Linda linda right
0: i don't know i think
1: oh no it's iris oh my god it's barry's wife it's not linda it's it's iris there's too many characters i'm losing my mind here um so we're following we follow iris going home she's very much infected by the anti-life equation and she literally goes home and sits down in front of the tv which is just showing an omega simple with the end of the anti-life equation which is Self equals dark side, being repeated over and over again. The flashes come in, and Barry is able to, through the power of love, eradicate the anti-life equation inside of Iris um, through a kiss. And, like, possibly the speed force, because it's like the lightning. Was there anything in these pages that you were wanted to talk about? Or
0: Not really. Sorry, I'm very quiet on this one, but... <laughs> By and large, it just doesn't do anything for me, honestly. Like, the most noteworthy things here are probably just some of the blatant dialogue from the Justifiers, just going, increase production, work, consume, die, judge others, condemn the different. You know, just like, the themes are very blatant. Um, I suppose I can appreciate that, but... Not even just this issue, but with the whole thing. I think I'm just don't see a particular appeal in a story that is centrally about fascism, but doesn't really successfully sell any sort of like human emotional elements, I suppose. You know, like there are obviously characters and we have these scenes of like the Flash saves his wife with the power of love, yada, yada, yada. But it's just like, you know, not to make a definitive statement of like, oh, superhero comics can't manage this subject matter well. But when the fascism stuff is just like a theme that sort of has to contend for page time with all of the specifics of the sci-fi magic and the exact details of the plot and a million characters and a million different plot points. It's like, I don't know, it's not like poorly done in the sense that it's like sloppy or unclear, but it just, nothing here emotionally moves me, I suppose. And it's also not like really delivering anything that I consider, like, a unique insight either, thematically speaking, so I just kind of don't really feel anything about it. Like, I don't know, just, like, fascism as rendered in a superhero fight just doesn't really do anything for me, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, this is very much a, like, reaction to the time it, it came out in. Like, I mean, I feel like it's fairly obvious, but like the villain's initial attack being like this secret thing that they didn't know was coming but there were like obvious signs and then there's this immediate like devastating shift is very much Morrison doing like superhero 9-11. And then the like the the general hopelessness vibe of it and the leading into hope is, and this has, this is maybe the most poorly aged aspect of this comic. Um, The way that it is Here's this hopeless situation where this right-wing power has taken over and uh, the future just looks like it's going to be nothing but endless work for the glorification of someone else. Here's, like, the hopeful ending where the heroes all win and succeed was inspired by Obama being elected, but that was always going to age poorly. But I guess what I'm saying is dark side is George W. Bush.
0: It just does nothing for me. Sorry, I Not I can't really think of anything else to say to it. Just, like, I don't know, it's like the entire thing is so far removed from any sense of reality that it's hard for me to feel really grounded in it, I suppose. Like, you know, like, I understand what the metaphors are doing or, like, being employed to try and do. But, I don't know. It's just... Not really, something that's, I guess, in line of my particular sensibilities of how to deal with these topics in a particularly interesting way.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I can completely see that that viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, well, quickly finishing out the issue, Mister um, Miracle and the Super Young Team arrive at uh, Checkmate, um, where one of the Spook Soldiers. I guess, thinks that maybe they have the effect of the anti life equation and shoots Mr. Miracle right in the chest. And so, as quote, freedom spirit falls, Dan Turpin finally fully gives in and Darkseid gives a thumbs down for hope and the spirit of humanity. Bringing us into Final Crisis number five, uh, written by Morrison again with J.G. Jones, Carlos Pacheco. Marco, Rudy, and Jesus Marino on art, Alex Sinclair on colors, Travis Lanham as the letterer, so a new letterer, and once again, the J.G. Jones cover art, which this time was Wonder Woman. She's not, like, really in this comic, but, you know, she got a cover.
0: Yeah, it's a nice enough cover, just, they're all very, like, trying to find the ward. It's all very much, like, still shots, you know? Like, there's not really, like, a sense of motion to any of these. It's very, like...
1: They're posed. They're all posing. Yeah. Which, like, I think is purposeful. Like, none of them look like they're doing something that should be in motion. Yeah, it's very much, like, it's a them as statues. Choice. Like I guess the iconography does work, but, like, it's an interesting choice of cover.
0: It gives Style. the sense to me that it's supposed to feel very, like, prestigious of, like, like used word iconography, I think is exactly right, of just, like, here is an image that's just trying to, like, embody who these characters are. So we have, like, Wonder Woman at the ready, you know, like, the Flash one was sort of, like, clearly him while running, Green Lantern of the Ring, it's all very, just, like, hearkening to a very most, like, distilled idea of who these characters are.
1: Yeah. Visually. Which, like, it just makes me wish that Wonder Woman was in this book more, but, oh, oh well. What we do have is the Green Lantern Corp. So, basically, uh, where we left off Hal a couple issues ago was he had been taken... To be put on trial for killing Orion, but like he he didn't. It was actually Darkseid firing a bullet back through time, a time traveling bullet, and Granny Goodness possessing the Alpha Lantern Kraken, um, which no one knows that's what she is yet. Uh, says that she thinks that what happened is that Hal Jordan, who was once so easily possessed by Parallax now plays host to a murderous god of Apocalypse, which of course is what's happening to her. And the Guardians, who are like the little blue people who run the Green Lanterns, this is just like one of those sort of big trial scenes. Uh, are Like, well, we need to examine your evidence because, like, Hal Jordan's a-, a-, a good officer. At which point, the other two... So, Jon Stewart is still on Earth, but having also left Earth, were Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, who are two more Green Lanterns, because there's an absolutely criminal number of Green Lanterns. Like, even accepting the fact that, like, it's a corp, I just mean, like, from Earth who are humans. There's too many. We need to kill some of them. They, they need to be parred down a bit. I think there should only ever be two, because then they can be buddy cops. There's, like, six at this point. It's ridiculous.
0: I think it's more than six... I think it's literally, like, nine.
1: Fuck's sake. Oh, okay, so there's the one from the N.K. Jemison series that I haven't read, but is apparently great, so I do actually need to read that. There's Kyle, Guy, Hal, John. Uh, there's
0: the, like, pair. There's yeah, the duo yeah, Simon, team.
1: Simon Baz and Jessica...
0: Cruz, I, I want to
1: say Cruz? I'm pretty sure it's a C.
0: I think it's Cruz. Yeah. Then there's the Golden Age one, although you can say it doesn't count. Then there's the one that's a I'm literal counting. child.
1: Wait, the what?
0: There's a child one. Um, I don't remember his name. There's like a little boy one who actually Who's Trungles. The space Cops. Yes, who in one of the like Pride identity specials, um, there's a story about him that Trungles did. That's actually quite cute, but yeah, there's, there's a
1: child and the space cops from Earth. These blue people are fucked up with who they hire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's nine. Uh, That's too many. That's too many. I say we kill everyone, but John and the kid then. Problem solved. We could, we could, we could, maybe we can just take away the rings from some of the characters we like. Like, Guy was that other thing for a while where he was like wearing, was that paint. Or technology? The the warrior thing, I think it was?
0: Of all of them, Guy can be flung off of a cliff into the literal limbo from last time and just not seen again. We need it to be in comics
1: to get punched by Batman, though.
0: I've I've seen it. I'd rather just simply (laughs) never see him again. If I feel like it, I can pull out that old comic. I would simply love to never see his haircut again. That's fair. (laughs)
1: <laughs> anyway, here he manages to do the one good thing he's ever done, which is immediately out Kraken as the one who is possessed, because they figured it out through sci-fi reasons. And despite the fact that the Guardians are like, well, you can't compromise in Alpha Lance, and they're infallible, that's the whole reason we made them. Uh, she immediately is just like, yeah, no, uh, it, yep, it's me, I'm evil. And starts like using her lantern ring to manifest like bugs to attack everyone. She always uses it in like a very like creepy insect manifestation way.
0: And yeah. so she's
1: trying to compromise the Green Lantern like super battery, um, and put it under control of Darkseid, which she reckons will make him, uh, make her his favorite again. Which like yeah sure because Darkseid actually likes any of you idiots, and she wonders if. The Green Lantern Court, like rings, are the ultimate technology that Metron pointed humanity towards. So that's the idea that's been recurring. The sigil that we've seen, we know that that's what that actually is. Somehow, it's not the Green Lantern Court, but it's clearly a thing that the evil gods of Apocalypse have been worried about this whole time, and that Dark wants for himself. They're able to stop Granny Goodness with some punching. And so the Guardians give Howler's ring back and he and all of the uh, Green Lanterns decide that they're gonna go back to Earth to try and save everyone because they've just noticed that Earth is suffering time distortions as a doomsday singularity caused by the impact of Darkseid's fall from heaven is causing cracks to spread through all of reality. So then we get another page where Rene Montoya um, is being led into, further into, like, the basement of Checkmate by Amanda Waller and um, some guy. I'm sure he's from something. But basically, they have a backup plan for when like, the Earth is going to end and superheroes don't manage to stop it and they're asking Montoya to be a big part of it. Which basically, their initial plan is to Send rem- remnants of the human population to another universe, and they want her to like lead them there because of like her significant experience as like both a police officer and more importantly, like a vigilante who's an ordinary human working with superheroes.
0: It's just, it's an example of one of.
1: What can't even be called like a C
0: or D plot, but just like so much further down the alphabet of just like such a minor plot point that probably gets like a single digit number of pages of exposure or breathing room in the entire story that it's kind of like within the context of just reading this trade, it feels like the story didn't even really need... I don't know if there was some book that came after this that delved more into this idea where it then felt more necessary to that, but there's just so much going on.
1: Uh no, her side book during this was um by Greg Rucker, and it's like it actually kind of contradicts this because she's not in checkmate. She's like out in New York when the anti-life equation hits. And it's like her and um Jim Corrigan had like just become the Spectre and he was her partner in the GCPD and had like died and that's why she quit uh because she was sick of how corrupt the cops were so yeah no it, it it is just in this it's um it's more setting up that she's going to be like she's in the ship that collects the army of superman that we will eventually get to meet uh like she winds up because she's doing this she winds up meeting up with um the superman beyond characters sorry my cat's climbing my chair Aww. And attacking me because she wants fed. Aww. And so basically, um, things aren't going very well. Uh everyone's kind of slowly losing all the big fights. The uh the team outside of Checkmate are all being captured and are getting Justify helmets stuck on them. Uh well back inside like the top level of Checkmate, the super young team are like really pissed they that some of the checkmate soldiers shot Mr. Miracle. But of course he's fine because he's wearing a bulletproof vest, and so essentially, uh, Mister Miracle is kind of aware of what's going to happen. He he like well, he he knew about like Darkseid's fall causing all of this. Uh, we get a line reference here to becoming fifth world. So only Grant Morrison would look at Jack Kirby's the fourth world and be like, right, but what's the fifth one? And then immediately go, oh, it's all the superheroes, basically. And Mr. Miracle and the super young team show the, like, face pattern that they've painted onto themselves, which is what protects them from the anti-life equation to all the checkmate soldiers. So they're going to be, like, proof to that now.
0: I guess this too, I'm like, what's the in-universe reason for this? Of, like, why just a specific little bit of face paint? Is gonna do this. I just, I don't know it's, if I'm missing something.
1: It's magic. It's new God's magic. It's the new God's symbol for hope.
0: Okay. And like, the
1: anti life equation is hopelessness, essentially.
0: Okay. I guess I wasn't really connecting that because, like, just on a thematic level, it was like with dark side and everything just being like fascism metaphor. I didn't know what to do with the magic face paint, but. Okay, if it's just sort of a hope, is the yeah, know, it's, shining it's... defense, or whatever you would want to call it.
1: The, the anti-life equation and dark side represent, like, the ultimate despair, and, like, the only thing that can pull you out of despair is hope. And in the context of this comic, as visualized by a whole bunch of people in very silly outfits, with superpowers, it has Dude. the appearance of a serious book, but it really is not a serious book.
0: Do they at some point in the book like actually like state that that's what this symbol means and I'm just forgetting it? Is it just me or do they never Um, actually say it?
1: I'm pretty sure they say it at one point, but it's also visually the wishing machine. That's what Superman eventually uses to like that's that's what this this visual is based on. This is the, like, wondrous technology that Metron secretly gave Earth. It's, like, this visual, this idea, that eventually manifests itself when Superman uses it and saves everyone. Okay. Big spoilers for the end of this episode, but there you go.
0: The good guys win. Yeah. The
1: good guys do, in fact, win. Okay. Um. So, Tiger Kalapak has also been given an army of Tiger soldiers that follow him. This is mostly just relevant for setting up a fun bit later. Um, and, and they ride out to meet the incoming attack on the Bloodhaven like, Command D, D base that the heroes realize is the center of everything now. Um, so yeah, we have a big splash. It's, it's funny getting one of these big superhero splashes, and it's like, who's the most prominent character on the page? Frankenstein. It's like Frankenstein and Black Adam are front and center for some reason.
0: It's a very odd little group of people. It's also like... I'm not sure, like, how large of a force I'm supposed to read this as being, like, if the people in this two-page spread are the entirety of the resistance that's shown up. Okay. It's...
1: Some of them are pretty heavy hitters. I mean, you've got two Shazam people, you've got Supergirl, and you've got a Green Lantern there.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's such an oddball little group of, let's see... Eighteen, I think, eighteen to twenty people, yeah, of like a few heavy hitters, like you said, and then just half of the Justice Society, because well,
1: that's all that's
0: left. I'm just kind of like, why them? <laughs> How them specifically? Not that it matters. It doesn't really matter, you know. Like the answer to that, you know, it's whatever. These are who we have. I guess. It's I have nice no to idea see.
1: why Frankenstein is such a big thing in this comic, but I find it extremely funny and it brings me joy.
0: I mean, he's also just aesthetically cool, which I'll take, because as the one here who likes the comic much less than the other one, I'll at least take here's a cool Frankenstein on a motorcycle, sure. Also- (laughs)
1: Frankenstein is riding a motorcycle to come fuck you up.
0: Yeah, and also there's Red Arrow- Just, again, making me think of that one hyper-specific period of Justice League that I like, so there's that. And then there's Vixen in the very background.
1: Isn't this after his, like, toddler-aged daughter had been brutally murdered?
0: I don't know about all that. Sure. Isn't
1: that Cry for Justice? Isn't that what that is? Isn't that, like, that's the Meltzer, isn't it?
0: Um, it's not in... I don't think so, unless I'm just really forgetting. But I don't think it's in that, like, 12 issues of JLA that he did. Oh, maybe I'm blaming Meltzer for it. There is, I think Cry for Justice is a separate thing. Maybe Meltzer also did, but if he did, I didn't read it.
1: Just based on Identity Crisis, it feels like he would. Sure. (laughs) Because I've only read Identity Crisis, so I don't have good Meltzer feelings.
0: That is very fair, given... Identity crisis.
1: Um, so, yeah, you get a big fight. Uh, the weird, Desaad-possessed Mary Marvel has a big fight with uh, both Black Adam and Captain Marvel Jr. And Talkie Tawny comes in to help, but uh, he gets attacked by Calibac. Uh So Talkie Tony is the Tiger Man. So it is important that now we have two tigers in a fight with each other. At which point, because this is an event comic and we cannot go more than three pages without changing scene, we go to Nick Swotan getting thrown into a cell, um, which is where they bring everyone that the anti-life equation cannot affect. And so in the cell, there is a man in a wheelchair trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, a mysterious man that we don't see very well, but who has very hairy hands, and Nick Swotan, who at this point thinks he's a human. And so, as it turns out, uh, this is this is the, the man with the very hairy hands talking. There's a magical minimum number of moves you can solve a scrambled Rubik's cube with. I bet you never needed to know that. They call it the number of God. Nobody ever did it in less than 18. This will be surprisingly important for the rest of this comic. And it's very clear that the man with the hairy hands, who... This is something I didn't realize until relatively recently... It's never really explained who this is, except the first issue of Multiversity reveals that it was a monkey named Mr. Stubbs. Okay. A okay. magical talking monkey named Mr. Stubbs. It is surprisingly not like a big reveal. It's just, oh yeah, no, it was this magical monkey. And by established, I just mean that Nick Swoten is in that and he is hanging out with this monkey named Mr. Stubbs, who is his friend. And I'm like, oh, so this is this is this is Mr. Stubbs then. And Stubbs hands wotan a uh piece of paper that wotan himself drew because he's uh been like kicked in here and all his drawings have gone all over the place like he was carrying all of his like drawings that he'd been doing of different superheroes and of ouija dell and like all of his backstory stuff from being a monitor that he has like weird dream memories of he hands in the one that's got the weird metron drawing that we've seen recurring throughout this it's Part of that design is what everyone's been drawing on their faces, is what we've seen in the crop circles and found in the cave paintings. And uh Mr. Stubb says, if your superheroes can't save you, maybe it's time to think of something that can. If it doesn't exist, think it up. Make it real. And so Walton is slowly trying to remember what happened, like his his monitor memories properly. Um specifically now his connection to Ouija Dell is like he's like. I, I, he's trying to remember what her name actually was. Some justifiers come in to go ahead and, like, the implication is they're going to run experiments on to figure out why the anti life equation doesn't work. At which point, the man in the wheelchair solves the Rubik's Cube in 17 moves and it pings like a mother box. And there's an explosion of light, which clearly vaporizes the justifiers who would come in. Uh, I, I, I guess, it, well, It pings like a mother box because it is a mother box. This is is Metron in the chair having like fallen but he's able to reactivate like his god powers and well, we'll find out by the end of this comic turn Nick's Floaton back into a monitor again by solving a Rubik's Cube in 17 moves because it is one less than the god number of 18. See, I just find that shit funny. (laughs) That's a completely insane thing to have happen. As explained one page before by a talking monkey.
0: I think it's just a difference of taste here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's fair. I I appreciate how utterly insane a concept that is. That this Rubik's Cube is somehow a mother box. But you have to activate it by solving it in 17 moves rather than 18. I have no idea whether that's a true fact, by the way. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've been trying to Google Rubik's Cube's minimum moves as we've been talking and have not come to anything conclusive. Yeah, it's just sort of giving, like, keep trying, unlock the unknown, um, transcend what you know.
1: The central part of this is is the bit where uh, Stubbs says that it's time to think of something that can save you with what you have right now isn't able to like have you read super gods morrison's book no so morrison grew up near a u.s army base in scotland that had nukes in it and their parents uh, their dad especially i think both of them were anti-nuclear activists and morrison grew up with like this deep existential terror about nuclear war and annihilation um but the thing that made them like Able to get through it a lot was actually superhero comics, specifically Superman, where they were able to rationalize it as like, well, the bomb is an idea, but so is Superman. And so if the bomb is real, we should make Superman real. Because Superman's a better and cooler idea than a nuclear bomb. Right. And like it tie- like it ties into their stuff with chaos magic and 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 all of that, where like the ideas matter as much as the reality and like the concepts
0: yeah and so this this is... is
1: this is the most blatant usage of that I've ever seen in a Morrison comic actually where the hero's power is as it turns out thinking about cool comic book things
0: yeah I think this is just one of those cases where the like biographical and sort of like I don't know, like, the aspects of what's informing Morrison's interests and thematic concerns, I think, are more interesting to me than in the actual finished product of, like, how they convey them within this specific text itself.
1: That's it. I do think Final Crisis is messy. I like how gonzo it is, how, like, it's just, like, There's very few event comics that actually feel like big, cool stories and are also, like, about more than just moving around, like, pieces on the board of universal reboots or setting up everyone's new status quo for the next six months. And the ones that are, like, I mean, good event comics, generally, it's like this Secret Wars 2015 I thought Judgment Day was pretty good. Judgment Day was alright. It wasn't as good as the rest of Immortal X-Men or the Eternals run have been, in my opinion. But, like, that was good. It, It just happens so rarely. It's nice having something like this that is so big and sprawling and touches every single character and is, like, at least trying to be about something interesting, even if it is kind of a mess and even if it's all over the place. It's so... Grant Morrison. No one, you can't mistake this for anyone else's work, but in the good (laughs) and bad ways. This has all the problems of a Morrison book, but also, like, a lot of the things that make me enjoy their work generally.
0: Yeah, like, if nothing else, this is certainly swinging big, and swinging big repeatedly. Which, even if I don't really like the results on a purely like I guess respect level I think I can respect this a lot more than I can say I don't know just you know you listed off a few examples of like events that actually weren't terrible but just you know I can appreciate that they're at least trying and have an idea that they at least cared more about than an editorially mandated cash grab of here's how the action figures are gonna smack up against each other this time. Yeah, I, I mean, you
1: mentioned Civil War earlier and, like, that's that one's rough, for example, or um I'm just gonna wind up listing off all the Marvel events that Brian Michael Bendis did, like Secret Invasion or House of BAM. I don't like any of them.
0: Yeah, like, Civil War I mean, War Infinite came... Crisis... Yeah, like, Civil War came to my mind again, and then I wasn't really sure if it was the appropriate one for me to cite, since at least there is an idea there. It's a stupid fucking idea, where anyone with any- Even Mark
1: Millar said that one wasn't actually as fought through. So Millar didn't think of Civil War as a political book. Millar was using the politics as an excuse to do the Iron Man-Captain America fight. And their, like, actual statement on superheroes and politics was ultimate for his.
0: And I think Which... the fact that the creator took that premise and was like, this isn't a political book, says everything about how well one would expect it to go.
1: This is why Iron Man setting up Guantanamo Bay in, like, a basically a hell dimension was not a thing that immediately made this character unusable forever. We just have to pretend that didn't happen, or you can't read an Iron Man book.
0: Dreadful. But back yeah, to the, the events shit. in question.
1: Yeah, back back to the one where only the villains set up things like Guantamina Bay. Uh so all of the like evil gods basically spontaneously die. At least uh all of them except for Mary Mar- So like clearly a a. Shazam powered body is better than like normal humans or whatever enough is going on with Simeon Makari because they Simeon Makari and Godfrey all just like die here as Darkseid fully manifests. Um Darkseid declares that all flesh will be Darkseid's body. They have only ever faced the idea of a god before. Now is God made flesh come among them. All is one in Darkseid which we'll see what that means in a minute. Uh, the evil Mary Marvel starts fighting Supergirl, the green lanterns are flying towards Earth, and it's, they're flying into, it. it, it I said this earlier, it looks like the bleed is going down some kind of drink, right? like a whirlpool, with a whole bunch of Earths floating in it. And the lanterns are like, wasting their ring power going down there, so they're just going to like, fall into the singularity. This is where they will be for the next two issues, <laughs> It's just falling into a singularity, on purpose, because that's where the Earth is now.
0: Hoping to come out the other side.
1: And so everything ends as Darkseid fully manifests, as he declares, I am the new god. All is one in Darkseid, this mighty body is my church. When I command your surrender, I speak with three billion voices. When I make a fist to crush your resistance, it is with three billion hands. And we see that everyone who was infected by the anti-life equation now has glowing red eyes and are, like, doing these motions alongside Darkseid. Nothing like Darkseid has ever come among you. Nothing will again. I will take you to a hell without exit or end, and there I will murder your souls and make you crawl and beg and die. Die, die for Darkseid. As all of humanity is now just a part of Darkseid, as all, all of humanity is now like subsumed as a part of Darkseid, we see that Nick Swotin is back as, quote, the judge of all evil in a very nifty sort of trench coat matrix y superhero outfit, having regained his monitor abilities. And, and that's declaring the
0: end of himself as the judge of all evil.
1: Yeah, and he's, like, looking at... He's got, like, a holographic display thing around him that's, like, displaying different panels from elsewhere in the comics. Like, he's seeing everything that's happening. You could argue that that's not actually technology. That's him being, like, able to see everything from the outside the way that the monitors can. And then if you're reading this in the trade, there's two issues of Batman, which are, like, good issues, but don't really have anything to do with this. Oh, I forgot to mention that as Simeon and Makari were dying... Um they tell Darkseid that uh their attempt to like create an army of clone Batman failed. That the two issues of Batman are that happening. And also like a full overview of the Morrison retcon that every Batman issue ever counts and it happened, and like piecing together as Batman's life in chronological order under like the new version that they were doing. Um which you could argue was maybe. Batman's life flashing before his eyes as we head into Final Crisis number six with Batman on the cover. And for once, the cover is relevant to the main... Well, for the second time, the cover is relevant to the uh, character featured inside the comic. This one is, once again, written by Morrison. We have J.G. Jones on art, but also Carlos Pacheco, Doug Mankey, Marco Rudy, Christian Alamy, and Jesus Marino. With Alex Sinclair and Pete Pantazis as colorists, Rob Clark Jr. as letterer. That's another new letter, isn't it? I think so. That's odd. I'm used to seeing the art go all over the place, and, like, the Incas on stuff like this, but, like, I've never really noticed, like, the letterers changing a whole bunch in a series. Like, were they suddenly unavailable?
0: I feel like that's a whole new level of Deadline Hell.
1: This is the Deadline Hell book. I, yeah.
0: Unless, like, there was just some convergence of circumstances of like one letterer getting like injured or having to deal with like a birth in the family or something but yeah like even the letterers are shifting around like outside of morrison this is almost definitely the least creative team consistency we've ever covered i can't think of anything that would rival it that we've well, talked no, about. We're
1: normally covering, like, two issues of a regular book.
0: Fair enough, I suppose.
1: Uh, I, I think you would get this with almost any event comic. Like, even the ones where it's, like, they did manage to get it all out with, like, one artist, you'll still see a million Incas. I'm sure if we covered more than, like, if we covered more than just, like, the main miniseries for even, like, Judgment Day, that was pretty recent and was, like, clearly in the planning for a long time, we'd still wind up with some pretty long art credits yeah. but um, despite me teasing that Batman would be important in this issue we actually opened with Superman who is due to an entirely different comic, this is the one real hole in it is I wish that Superman Beyond had ended with him in the uh, 31st century with the Legion of Superheroes but he's, he's there with the Legion of Superheroes this happened in a tie-in It's the one non-Morrison written tie-in that is even vaguely relevant, except it actually isn't beyond the fact that Superman is now in the future instead of being in the present. So, like, there you go.
0: Just another cut in time and location. I don't think I even really thought about it because of just how many fast cuts there are in this thing.
1: Well, we know that Superman came back at the same time, but then he just, like, wasn't around so, like, he clearly went somewhere else after Beyond.
0: Yeah, like he stopped <laughs> in, said hi to Lois, and then immediately left.
1: Pretty much, yeah. He got dragged away to, like, a Legion thing. So, um, that that's what he's been doing. And so, Brainiac 5 shows Superman the ultimate technology. So it's, he specifies that they discovered a way to refine Guardian's willpower technology to create the final machine, the ultimate technological artifact. So, Earlier, we know that Granny Goodness thought that maybe the technology used by the Green Lanterns was the technology that had, that like Metron had secretly seeded in humanity. But it's not. But it, an evolution of it does lead to this technology, which is the Miracle Machine. And if you look at it, you'll see that it looks a lot like... When you look at it from one specific angle, it looks like the symbol that we've seen throughout this comic from Metron... That is, like, the secret symbol that's been given to humanity. With, like, the sort of circles and lines lining up that way. And so Brainiac knows that Superman is going to, like, need this to try and protect Earth when he goes back to the present. Um, So they put lock the machine away and stop anyone from using it because the horror... Like, basically, if you plug yourself into it, you rewrite reality. And... Act 5 is like, well, the horrific potential of a single stray thought is a bad idea, so we've turned it off permanently, and we're not going to let anyone near it. But he's having Superman look at it, and try to remember it, as Superman is slowly being dragged back to the present because reasons. Time stuff. I assume it relates to how he wound up in that future to begin with. Um, Black Canary and the surviving Justice League members on the Watchtower in orbit are attacked by Justifiers in what honestly look kind of like TIE Fighters. <laughs> like, they have the wings of, like, a TIE Bomber for some reason. Uh, but these spaceships. So that group are screwed now. We have a big multi-page fight between the possessed Mary Marvel and Supergirl, which manages to end when Captain Marvel Jr. uses his own magical, like, Shazam lightning to turn her back to, like, regular Mary Marvel, who is... Like Mary, whatever her real name is, who is no longer possessed and is obviously like really like freaked out. Unclear whether she could ever like transform back into Mary Marvel without being possessed by Desard again, which that's kind of destructive for the character. But
0: in the middle of this, we also get her and Supergirl calling each other sluts as they beat each other up in the sky.
1: Yeah. um, I don't know what the hell's up with that. This is a weird fucking era for being a teenage superhero, female superhero.
0: Really?
1: Like, that shit's rough. Like, you either wind up in the super mini-skirt and crop top that constantly gets pantied shot like Supergirl, which, like, not so much in this, aside from the fact that it is as short as it canonically is, but man, so many fucking panty shots of Supergirl in the series. It's really disturbing. More importantly, Kalaback and Talkie Tawny of continuing their fight.
0: I will say, Kalib- to give a positive about this comic, because I feel bad that this is something that you like, and I've had so little positive to contribute, I will say that these are nicely drawn cat people, especially oh, with regards great. to the tiger heads, so I'll give it that.
1: Yeah, this is, this is, I love Talkie Tawny, I have only read Talky Tawny in this and one issue, I think. Like even the Captain Marvel Shazam stuff I've read, he's not in it because they I guess are embarrassed that one of his best friends is a giant tiger man with a bow tie and like like to be clear, Talkie Tawny is characterized sort of similarly to like nineties beast in like the cartoon.
0: So like smart and funny as opposed to smart and totalitarian.
1: Yeah, cartoon beast. You know, the one that everyone's like, oh, I miss Beast when he was, like, nice. As, yeah. like, I mean, the comic one never really was. It's just the one from the cartoon. But having yeah. watched that cartoon, I find him insufferable, but like, that kind of character. He's got a bow tie, and like a, you know, posh, like, Sherlock holmesy looking outfit, actually. And so Calabac's like, what are you? Tell Calaback before I smash out your brains. My friend, sir, call me Talkie. My name in my own tongue translates as Tawny, but don't let my cultured tones deceive you. Tawny bites as he charges forward and bites Calabac's shoulder. And so Calabac is able to knock him- How
0: do you think editorial gave Morrison just going, how many pages are we going to get of this cat man?
1: I want more. I would read a talkie Tawny solo book. Yeah. Based solely on the fact that he is like... a tiger man in a bow tie
0: yeah i don't even mean it bites. in a bad way so much as them just being like this is our event book that you're writing us just the crux of everything and here's more of this catman
1: and so Tawny is able to take advantage of um Calibac being like distracted uh by the the uh, the supergirl mary marvel fight to gut tokey uh, to gut Calibac. like we see his intestines coming out this is pretty pretty gnarly and as calabac is slowly dying, he asks, like, the other cat people that were, like, serving him to help him, and they say, no help, be not strong. And so Tawny turns to the other tigers and says, well, I'm sorry we had to meet under such appalling circumstances, but do your worst, gentlemen, and closes his eyes, clearly expecting to, like, get mauled by, like, the eight, like, there's, like, a lot of tiger men here. But instead they all bow down to him, because clearly they, like, serve the strongest member of the group, and since he killed calabac that makes him the strongest. I It's just kind of cute how he's like, oh, well, okay, I guess you're gonna kill me now. And it's like, oh, oh no, this is maybe worse.
0: Leader of the pack.
1: <laughs> Leader of the tiger pack of, like, crazy apocalypse-bred barbarian tiger men, who are presumably, like, cloned from him. Like I don't know where else they got this. Oh, and um, here we have uh the bit where the symbol specifically means freedom, not hope, but same diff. The where yeah. Mister Miracle is explaining to Mister Terrific. It's very funny to me that Morrison put those two together in a room, Mister Miracle and Mister Terrific. <laughs> that was just a joke. That's just on purpose. And so, the uh, the like super young team prepare to go out into battle because basically. Everything is screwed and like checkmates being attacked and they're about to fall. Uh, the like female furies are apparently doing a really good job of fighting everyone. Uh, meanwhile, back on the watchtower, uh, the group of justifiers, now led by Green Arrow as well as Black Lightning, have taken everyone prisoner. But thanks to the like, so the first person they try to put the justifier helmet onto is the tattoo man, but he's protected by the tattoo with the freedom symbol from New Genesis, and so they're able to get the upper hand by turning the gravity off and kicking, like, Black Canary kicks the helmet off of Oliver Queen, and proceeds to basically beat the shit out of him until he snaps out of the whole anti-life thing. We get, so, what I said last issue about, like, Rene Montoya being sent to, um, send, like, a last loop of humanity, like, to another... Universe to try and uh, protect the remnants of this world on another is sort of established there in in the next two pages, and then we cut to Zavanna and Lufo So they have been hanging out with um the villains this whole time, uh. But they, neither of them are affected with the anti life equation, and so they're plotting to betray Libra and Darkseid and the other villains because oddly enough the rich leader of the corporation does not actually want all of humanity to get dragged into a never-ending, like, endless pit of suffering. Shockingly, the two, like, personal gratification dudes are not actually out to completely ruin all of reality.
0: No one can prop up their superiority if there's no one around to do so, so...
1: Just imagine how boring it would be to just be like standing around and you're just like you try to talk to someone and all they can say is anti-life justifies my hate all day and you're just like a bold scientist and you're like all i wanted to do was kill superman
0: yeah a lot of this like once they get into the like time stopping black hole type bullshit is like oh are they literally doing the thing of just trying to destroy everything, you know, the sort of everything collapsing until itself, time as you know it will be over, yada yada, sort of thing with what Darkseid is doing.
1: Yeah, that's just the inevitable consequence of Darkseid, like, Darkseid's impact falling into Earth Prime, like, falling from Apocalypse and Eugenesis, from, like, the- the heavenly sphere. Into this reality. And he's into it. He's down for like dying and dragging all of creation in with him. And in the meantime just making what- doing what he can to make everyone else's lives as miserable as possible. All of the other evil gods would like to be alive at the end of this. But clearly like Darkseid doesn't actually give a shit about any of them. And so they attack Libra who vanishes- and are set up to um, try and take control over the Justifies by essentially pretending to be Darkseid using a microphone. So the Flashes have now met up with uh, um, Jay, and they set into motion their plan, which is the Black Racer is still coming for Barry, but they know that he also comes for the dying New Gods, and so they're going to lead him to Darkseid. So they take off, at which point we get... I actually really love this scene. So we cut back to Darkseid who behind him, sort of leaking out of him, is what the intention is. Is this weird, colourful, like geometric sort of set of like abstract shapes that kind of vaguely form a kind of like evil-ish face in these bright colours. This is like Essentially a visualization of like the full aspect of Darkseid. Like his ability to be held within any physical form is broken down at this point. At which point Batman shows up. Darkseid, you look like I feel. You shouldn't have shot Orion. And Darkseid said it was Orion's destiny to fall in final battle, splintered like light through a prism in an infinite number of deaths. And Batman says, I made a very solemn vow about firearms, but for you, I'm making a once in a lifetime exception. A gun and a bullet, Darkseid. It was your idea. And he pulls out a gun that he's like gotten from the the New Gods like, evil base. And in it is loaded the bullet that was used to shoot Orion that he had in his utility belt this whole time from when he was examining the body Two episodes ago. And the thing about this is, I hate when Batman uses firearms in anything. I don't even like when the Batmobile has machine guns on it. That's dumb and bad. Like, Batman's whole thing is he has a a real tick about guns because they killed his parents. And in fact, the gun and the bullet that he's wielding this are like new gods ones. So, this isn't just a gun and a bullet, this is the concept of a gun and the concept of a bullet this is in some ways literally the idea that the every gun ever and every bullet ever but he'll use it on fucking dark side yeah because uh, as he says it was your idea batman uses like the whole idea of batman is that he is the frightening hero who tries to frighten criminals into not being criminals anymore, like, like, that's the essence of the concept, is, like, he is scared of bats, so he uses bats. The weapon of the enemy is the gun, in this case. Like, Batman, out of all the superheroes, the one you could easily, most easily accuse of being a fascist is Batman. Just, just kind of how it is, because he's the one who normally is beating up on relatively normal people, so it just feels worse sometimes. And he is taking this weapon of dark sides. And using it against him very literally, breaking, you know, his one code. But of course, it's also just a very cool, he's pulled it out of his utility belt moment. (laughs) Because of course, he's got a god killing gun on his bullet on his utility belt. I mean, it's established why he has it, but like they didn't search him before they started experimenting on him. The fucking idiots.
0: That scene in Justice League where they try to fuck around with his belt and it's just electrified or whatever if you try to open it the wrong way
1: oh yeah i love that kind of shit
0: as much as i don't particularly love the actual execution on the themes and most of this book or at least a lot of it this is probably the biggest exception to that in terms of just being the blatantly correct thing to do of just If you're going to introduce a character and say this is the concept of fascism, you have to kill them. That is how you have to deal with it. That is what you have to do. There is no little cowardly sidestepping, blah, 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 we're gonna reason of Darkseid, you know? And having Batman do it all the more just to strengthen that. Just like there's no time for pretending like he can be reasoned with for logic out of being an asshole. Just shoot him. Just fucking do it.
1: Much in the way that that's the concept of a gun that Batman is holding, Darkseid is the concept of evil and despair and horror and all the things that Batman has been fighting against his entire career. Yeah, This is the culmination of his mission, to grab a gun and shoot the pure evil. Yeah. And unfortunately for Batman... Darkseid also says, well, Darkseid fires off the Omega Sanction, which he shouts here is the death that is life. Um, If you've ever seen a thing with Darkseid, there's the laser beams from his eyes that fly off in the jagged like right angles before they hit their target. Well, this is that. And so Batman fires the bullet, he hits Darkseid, and right before the Omega beams hit him, he says, Gotcha. And we get a big two play two page splash page of the Omega Effect hitting Batman. This is this is JG Jones. Art. I think this is maybe the only like big example of Jones art left in this issue. But it's a real good two page spread of Batman being hit by the Omega Effect and surrounded by Kirby Crackle as it does whatever this does to him. But um, this is the death of Batman that was heavily teased as being like the result of this comic even though it was also heavily teased as being the result of batman r.i.p that was releasing at the same time but r.i.p leads into this
0: was this one of those things where because of scheduling issues like issues were published of batman already dead before this came out to explain it
1: no r.i.p doesn't actually um r.i.p is just a, a batman story it's a very good one, and it's it's one which at the end it is established that the next time he puts on his cow he will die. Which he then does to go and investigate Orion's death, and he doesn't take it off until after he has died here. But that story is him fighting the black glove and, and um Dr. Simon Hurt and like some of the, the the Morrison Batman stuff that is really cool. Okay. Uh we can- we can explain the Omega Sanction if you want, but, like, the essence of- for the context of this, Batman just died.
0: Yeah, it's just dark sides, laser beams, like- Oh,
1: it's not, but, like-
0: Well, visually, it's, like, you know, like, beams yeah. from the eyes. And just, like, I don't know what you want to call it, like, perfect tracking, like, auto-lock onto the target, you know, they move geometrically and they're not gonna miss-
1: yeah, they're in that awesome bit of the cartoon where Batman's actually able to dodge them, but obviously here he's too busy shooting Darkseid to dodge it.
0: And so they, effectively... they have a little standoff,
1: and they fire at the same time, and Batman wins.
0: Yeah, it's like they take each other both out, but Batman wins by nature of his side winning, even if he personally dies.
1: Yeah, and so now at this point basically all of time breaks down as we have a really weird two-page spread made up of a whole bunch of different panels. Uh, we see the Green Lanterns falling closer and closer to the center of the singularity and like the weird sort of lead whirlpool that they're in. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen activate uh, Jimmy's signal watch for Superman with a little z effect.
0: We're just sort of checking in with various people all around to include focusing in on Hawkman and Hawk Girl, for no discernible reason. with Hawk Girl, just being like, "We're gonna die, and Hawkman being like, "That's cool. I want to be reborn so that you'll love me again in our next life, because the whole thing of this era of Hawkman and Hawk Girl, is it like he remembers them being reincarnated as lovers and thinks they're destined and she doesn't remember him, so she just thinks he's this creepy old man that's trying to get with her that she has no interest in, and why should she? So
1: that's what's up with them? Oh god.
0: Yeah, that's the whole like early two thousands deal of Hawkman and Hawk Girl. It's probably Oh, I guess the there is that one likeable. episode of
1: Justice League that does that. Oh, it's always weird. I find that whole thing weird.
0: Yeah, it's like, I don't know what their actual age difference is here, but it always just reads freakishly of, like, here's this dude being obsessed with this woman who wants nothing to do of him. And, you know, he claims to know that they're just so perfectly tied to each other. And also there's the inherent, like, age aspect of hawk man reads as older than hawk girl because we're calling her a girl even though i don't know how old she
1: actually is here she's definitely like actually a woman
0: yeah like she's at
1: least like i've never seen a version of this character who hasn't been like an adult woman with a job
0: yeah like she's certainly not like 17 or something but even taking the age out it's just like Here's the era where Hawkman's just kind of a creep inherently.
1: I really like Hawkgirl as the woman with the cool mace and the wings who was on the cartoon. But every time I engage with any, like, Hawkman, Hawkgirl mythology, I'm always like, what the hell is this? I don't understand anything that is happening. For some reason, Vandal Savage frequently shows up, at least he did in Legends of Tomorrow when they did an entire season about that bullshit. And, like, it's just not for me.
0: Well, it's just retcon after retcon and then trying to, like, going oh, it's this, oh, it's that, then trying to be like, oh, it's both, but it's neither. Just Ugh. incredibly convoluted for characters who are, like, C-list. Just a well, series Harkle of decisions. should be a
1: big deal because she's in the cartoon and everyone loves her from that, but, like, She isn't, because what is she?
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And then they don't use her in the comics. It's it's, it's like Artemis in Young Justice was a huge hit character in that show. There's like not even a comic book version of her in anything ever.
0: Yeah, like they toss her in occasionally, like she's in the Justice League at this point, and then again when Bendis does it, but it's always just sort of no one really fully knows what to do because the continuity is too fucked up and the only way to fix it would be to fuck with it again. So they just keep trying to either not really comment on it or just fucking with it again, which makes it weirder.
1: Fucking comics. Speaking of which, the reason we have this really disparate two-page spread of small panels checking in on every single ongoing plot line is because this is actually being viewed by Nick Wotan, who, kind of like us, and especially like you, is not having fun with this comic book. Saying that he can't coordinate it, it's all happening at once. And so Metron is essentially trying to help him sort of ascend to his monitorhood again. He says, Your arrival inaugurates the fifth world, the age of men as gods. These new humans face a greater menace than Darkseid if they breach the bleed wall. Which is a very obvious hint at what's coming towards the end of this book. Which I guess if you've- if you read Superman Beyond, like we did, you'd know what that is. But if you were just reading Final Crisis, you're like, what the fuck, there's another thing happening?
0: Yeah, because, like, it's fairly easy to lose sight and be like, that's more or less the end, except there's still an entire issue left after Darkseid gets shot.
1: Well, he's still not dead. Like, Batman's mortally wounded him again, after Orion mortally wounded him when Darkseid killed him, which is why now Darkseid is in this body that Batman can mortally wound. Yeah. Killing a god is a complicated and difficult thing. And we get a a somewhat obligatory but kind of delightful look up in the sky as Superman arrives in Bloodhaven, firing his laser beams at full tilt at everything in sight, screaming in anger and frustration, The skies above swirl with, like, the bleed and the, like, multiple Earths as it's all becoming visible as reality is fully breaking down, and Superman pulls Batman's bird corpse out of the rubble and holds it the way that Superman in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths held the dead Supergirl. That's that's what's being visually referenced here. I I know you haven't read that, but...
0: I mean, I know that reference you know like i know that image and batman is looking super skinny and like he's lost a lot of weight
1: he is also like smoking
0: literally smoking
1: and like burnt beyond recognition pretty much except for the fact that the batman outfit is basically intact it's very strange
0: yeah it's like it's like not quite literally just skeleton but like Oh, there's, like, the slightest bit of skin still on it, probably. And, like, the way that the uniform is, like, clinging to the skin, you can see how much he's just a really bony figure at this point. Like, there's a real emphasis on, like, sort of, like, the jutting of the lower ribs. Looks fucked up.
1: That Omega effect apparently really fucked him up, apparently.
0: And then we we get Final Crisis number seven. Then we get which, the final issue.
1: Here we are. Uh, so, Morrison writing again. One penciler, which is Doug Mankey. But we do have Tom Nguyen, Drew Garasi, Garassi, not quite sure, Christian Alamy, Norm Ratman, Rodney Ramos, Doug Mankey, Walden Wong, and Mark Irwin inking. With Alex Sinclair, Tony Avina, and Pete Pentazis on Colors. Travis Lanham on Letters. Another new letterer.
0: I think Lanham and, at least did some of the series before. I think he's yeah, like coming back.
1: Been, I, I would need to look at them all on the list because I'm just kind of looking at them as I come to them. I'm like, wow, it's just all over the place. And um, the cover by J.G. Jones again. So the last bit of Jones I'll me get is a decent enough Superman cover.
0: Eight anchors. Eight.
1: Eight. On one... I mean, it's definitely, like, I think it's a supersized issue, kind of. It's not a huge issue.
0: Yeah, it's like, they're all, like, at least a little longer than normal, and then this one might be a bit longer than that.
1: And so we open in another universe. Um, oh god, which one is this? It's not Earth-11, because Earth-11 is the gender-swapped universe. So this is... I can't remember. I can't remember which Earth number this is, but this is the one that has president superman so the sky is red we have a man outside carrying a the end is nigh placard as a watchman reference i suppose and the president is being briefed um as i said earlier like barack obama had just been elected and apparently at some point in one of his speeches on the campaign trail something he talked about superman and so this inspired morrison to do a Superman who was a black man who was president. Which is a weird choice, but I do actually quite like President Superman whenever he's shown up. I absolutely insane that he is the president and as a secret identity as Superman. I'm like, that's weird. The two I don't know how he has the time.
0: Literally the two positions of all that individually would have the least time to do anything else, smash together.
1: But he's a fun character. Like, he's normally in, well, he's a big part of multiversity. Uh, he has a whole issue of Morrison's action comics dedicated to him. Like, he's a pretty significant recurring, like, alternate universe Superman. Um, It's like him and, I think, is it Val Zod, who's from Earth 2? Who's, like, got a lot of stuff, kind of. But like, they're the two big ones.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but the president the basic... superman thing, like, actually manages for me to reach. Oh, this is so ridiculous that it is kind of silly and fun. Like, I don't even mind this. Like, it is kind of a cute idea of just we're just fucking going for it.
1: Yeah, I think most of the president stuff is just taken over by like robotic brainiac duplicates because he's got like a brainiac setup. <laughs> like so most of the time you know meeting all the foreign dignitaries is just like a robot man um but the basic premise of this earth which i cannot remember which number it is so look it up everyone president superman is from whatever Earth. uh my head keeps going to 11 but i'm 99 sure 11 is the one where um everyone's gender swapped. so i don't think it's that uh but basically because superman was a black man And so the first, like, big superhero on Earth was Black. It inspired a lot of the future Black heroes to start being heroes earlier. And so the Justice League is basically formed out of characters like Vixen and, um, Cyborg, and, like, presumably the main Green Lantern on this Earth isn't Hal Jordan, it's Jon Stewart. Um, and, like, basically the only white guy on the Justice League is Batman.
0: Checks out the one... Uh, Where it's 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 still just so Intringent or the one where It's still so inherently tied To just being a Trust fund baby
1: Batman is like the hardest character To race swap Yeah because he's old money The whole point of the character is that he has Had money going back generations It isn't like a race swap World it's just like Superman was race swapped And so all of the other existing black DC characters are bigger deals in this world. For example, Wonder Woman is Nubia rather than Diana. And like Nubia is an existing character. She's not been in much before this, but she's a big deal in the comics now. And I think that's in part because everyone was reminded that she exists because Morrison Paul are out for this. Well, he uh, changes into Superman and flies off and he meets with Nubia, who... Has a magical horn from the Amazons, doesn't really matter, but it summons the Ultima Fuel. That, that's right. This is the Ultima Fuel from Superman Beyond that last we saw had Captain Marvel and Overman in it to go out and recruit heroes from across the multiverse. Out which from its steps, Renee Montoya, who says, I don't believe this, a whole multiverse and they all look like you guys. As behind her are a bunch of different Superman analogs. Uh, none of these are, like, wearing the S, but, like, the vibe is clear. These are all alternate Superman of some kind. Um, I know the one with the O is called Optiman, because I know him from other Morrison stuff, because Morrison is the only one who ever plays with these things, which is a bit of a shame.
0: We've got Captain Marvel or Shazam front and center again.
1: Yeah, yeah, the Earth Five One, who is from the Earth, where he is the Superman equivalent. This is the one from Superman Beyond, who I really like. So you know, glad we've got him. And so, cutting back to Earth Prime, Earth, I was going to say, but Earth Prime. uh, The heroes, the last ones left in the Watchtower, are there as time and space and everything folds down. We can see that the Fortress of Solitude has somehow fused with the Watchtower, presumably because they now only occupy all the remaining space that exists. Different heroes and characters from multiple universes have shown up, and they've written up the final edition of the Daily Planet, and and are sending it off in a rocket with some other mementos, out into the endless void outside in the hopes that someday someone will find it. They're sending it out in Superman's baby rocket if the, like, idea of this wasn't obvious already, as the last survivors of a dying world, you know, send out the the legacy, essentially. But meanwhile, back on Earth, and, yeah, things are weird, because Superman is now just standing in front of Darkseid, holding the burnt Batman body. So, like, all of time and space is broken down, including the order in which things could possibly be happening. So Darkseid says, You turned your back, and I wrecked your world. I robbed your people of their powers, their hopes, their future, themselves. What will you do when your friend, your enemies, your lover are all Dark side? When there is one body, one mind, one will, one life that is Dark side. Will you be the enemy of all existence then? What irony that will be, son of Krypton! And does a big evil laugh. Superman grabs Darkseid and is clearly ready to like kill him, um, even though he's already bleeding to death from uh, the bullet that Batman fired into him. When he recognizes Dan Turpin's DNA, because he can do that, I guess the face is pretty unrecognizable at this point. And so Darkseid, in the form of the hordes of people he is fully possessed and a part of now attack Superman, and he can't bring himself to hurt any of them because, like, they're not his fault. As Darkseid says, how can you hurt a foe made of people? So all of this is kind of just to use Superman's principles against him. Uh, Okay, so Darkseid pulls out the gun and loads the bullet because this is a time loop. And he fires the bullet that goes back in time to kill Orion, because this is when he shot it from. And he only has the bullet because Batman shot him with it. I love a ridiculous time loop. Like, this bullet came from nowhere. Yup. But the Flash's plan works, and they're able to race faster than death and lure the Black Racer to Darkseid, who says, No, not you. As the black racer shouts, "I come to all, even you," and breaks Darkseid's hold on the remnants of humanity, and like basically blasts Darkseid's soul out of Dan Turpin specifically. We see that in the the on the Watchtower in the future because we are all, all out of order now as everything is breaking down. Like this is. The reason this is now even more discombobulated and harder to follow than it was before is because it's reflecting the destruction of time and space that is happening in the story. But Superman has everyone left on the Watchtower building small parts of the Miracle Machine that he saw and was able to memorize because he looked at it with like his x-ray vision and all that. So he saw every piece of it and they're working to recreate it in small chunks. We see the last moments of all the different heroes as they fight against the Justifies at the end. Even the Watchtower is now, like, falling into Earth's orbit and, like, burning up in the atmosphere. And then we cut to... So, in Commandi's future now... Okay, so Renee explains that when Earth Zero, which is Earth Prime, I can never remember what they're calling it at any given point, um, finally, like, collapsed in on itself. That's how they boomed to to a nearby universe, which was how she met up with uh, Captain Marvel and, like, the slowly growing army of Superman. And that was on what looks like Commandy's future. We do get her telling Overman about the death of his cousin, which, like, you know, if you, you cared about Open Man and Superman Beyond, you get two panels in this.
0: It simply reads comically. Like, I think virtually any English language media that features, like, a German person dramatically exclaiming the word nine just intrinsically reads as kind of a comedy moment, even though this is obviously not supposed to be that. But I don't know. Superman's this is the Nazi Superman. So I feel ridiculous like ridiculous to begin with.
1: Yeah. Well, th- this is like it's a it's a crisis. So a Supergirl has to die. So Morrison picks the one who is kind of a Nazi.
0: Yeah, I guess
1: to do like the Supergirl defamage is kind of funny to me, and like this utter despair, like portrayed by this character who we have known for small chunks of two issues and, like, a panel or two in this one. And basically what we know about him is the Nazis won the war on his Earth, so there's, like, a decent chance that he just is one.
0: There's just a lot going on.
1: There is a lot going on. Uh, So Superman explains to Darkseid the, like, really stupid idea to try and shoot Orion when he's like, but that's, that's the bullet that Batman used to mortally wound you. That was suicide, Darkseid. Why did you do that? Uh, but at this point, Dan Turpin is able to fully beat Darkseid, and, like, literally one panel still looks like Darkseid, sort of sitting there in a daze, and then the next panel looks like Dan Turpin again, just without a shirt. But everyone else, including Wonder Woman, and, uh, all of the female Furies and all of the humans are still possessed, and this is the point where Lex Luthor's like, uh, actually, I'm gonna fight against Darkseid now. And so all the, like, supervillains who still have their, like, independence are now fighting against the the, uh, large armies of Justifiers and, like, chunks of people. Uh, We see that we're actually getting told this via the point of view of Wonder Woman and Supergirl telling a bunch of kids the story on the Watchtower in the future, which is another reason why this is now, like, all broken up. It's very, like, weirdly put together. Wonder Woman breaks free of Darkseid's control and uses her lasso of truth to release the last bits of humanity fully from like Darkseid's possession. So now Darkseid has like no physical hold on the world at all because Wonder Woman can escape being captured and mind controlled. And finally as all of resist as all of reality is sort of fully broken, uh there is now left sort of after everything has happened, only Superman and the Miracle Machine, and what we saw earlier, the big, colorful, glowy geometric shapes that are the full, like, spirit of Darkseid. And so Darkseid's plan now is to use the Miracle Machine to destroy Superman and, like, fully end reality. But Superman tells us this is canonical DC lore The worlds of the multiverse vibrate together and make a sound like an orchestra. Everything's just frequency vibrations and counter vibrations that cancel them out. And he sings a song that fully cancels Darkseid out. Superman removes, uh, it's this thing called Element X, which is, as he says, the fire of the gods from Metron's Mobius chair, which is also here somehow. Because it needs to be. And uses it to finish the Miracle Machine. Um, The Prometheus legend reference is obvious, I assume. Do you know Greek mythology?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know basics well enough to know Prometheus. Yeah. And then we get that freaky bat-looking bitch shows up again.
1: Yeah, as he says, Your father failed to save his world. Mandrak the Dark Monitor is here with his vampire Superman Ultraman. Now it is your turn, Superman. The dying god left your universe wounded, broken, defenseless, and alone in the endless dark. Here at the end of all stories where Mandrak waits for you. He has been feeding on, like, the godlike beings who defended the universe that they're now in. He says that they're drained now, meaningless. Like, Mandrak is basically the embodiment of, like, like the the sort of metaphysical, like, metatextual thing that Morrison's going through is Mandrake is the in-universe physical embodiment of dumb, meaningless superhero stories that are needlessly dark without even attempting to say something. It's, it's the, the ones with a bad ending where, like, good doesn't get to win in the end, because what's the point of that? And he says that there's, well, they have the Miracle Machine now, there's no light to turn it on. But Superman, of course, says, well, I'm a solar battery, that's my whole power. Really. And so he's able to, like, shine sunlight from his hands to start powering up the Miracle Machine. The Green Lanterns are still falling towards Earth, which of course is no longer there, but time distortions. And as the Miracle Machine powers up, the army of Superman arrive to fight Mandrak. So it's, uh, I think it's 50 of them total? Because Earth-33 doesn't have a Superman, and obviously Earth-Prime is already there, so that's the out of the 50, so it's 50. 50 Superman show up to fight him.
0: One of them just looks like Apollo of Midnighter and Apollo.
1: Maybe he is, oh yeah, because um, that universe wasn't part of the main DC universe yet, so that is Apollo. It wasn't until the New 52 that he was on Earth Prime, or Zero, or whatever it is. I think it's still Zero. Okay. So yeah, that that would, be, I don't know what Earth he is from in the, like, post-infinite crisis continuity, but like yeah that's that's that i think that just is him um we've got the, the. i mean they're being led by the captain marvel of earth five we have sunshine superman is there i like him he's the uh the one with the the afro you can't really see his design properly here but he is the um superman from the hippie universe where the green lantern just looks like shaggy from scooby-doo uh most of these others are i i, I mean overman so there aren't any others that are that notable weirdly, Captain Adam is not here, so I guess maybe there's 49. I don't know why Captain Adam is not here. And now we get to the bit that was redrawn for the uh, for the absolute edition, and is is the version, if you're buying any trade released in the last, like, decade, this is the bit that in the original version of this comic took place over, like, two pages, but here gets to take place over six. As Nick's Wotan, judge of all evil, arrives as he says, just in time to join the last stand of these incredible creatures. And so while Superman is powering up and using the Miracle Machine, he engages with Mandrake's army, summoning, summoning the... He's got the Superman of the multiverse, the Earth-26 super animals, which are the... I can't remember their name, but they're the group of, like, Animal Justice Leaguers who are led by Captain Carrot, the cartoon rabbit man. Um... A JLA Morrison reference, the Pax Day, which are like the angels from that.
0: I do like the JLA angels. I've always liked Azario, Zoriel, however you pronounce his name.
1: That's, I think that's him with the flaming sword right there, probably.
0: I'm used to seeing him with like chalk white skin, like the color white, not Caucasian. But maybe at some point they just made him a white dude in the usual sense.
1: Yeah, the the angels all have different skin tones. Some of them look like they're pure white, though. There's one that's like gray. Like they they have weird skin tones. Uh, I'm we get the revelation here. That... Like
0: a green Donald the Duck in the foreground of one of these, one of Captain Carrot's friends, I assume.
1: Yeah, I I think that's like the Green Lantern equivalent. I only really know Captain Carrot. I I just I really like Captain Carrot. Yeah. Wilton summons, well, he summons the super young team, but here he declares that he calls them the forever people, which is because the super young team are meant to be Morrison's update on, like, the concept of the forever people from the, like, Drake could be fifth world stuff. Man summons black matter demons, which, it, it, they're the shadow things from the original crisis. They're finally in this. There you go. If you're an original crisis fan, which I know you are not, uh... Here to devour the last traces of story. So basically, Mandrake's whole deal is wanting to wipe out the DC universe entirely. Like the literal deal in the comic, not like the metaphorical thing that he represents. It's trying to eradicate everything because he wants it all to just be the overmind again that it originally was and all that like background stuff. He wants to just feed on the multiverse until he's the only thing left. And so all of these he- weird heroes from across the multiverse engage in this l- last ultimate stand against evil. As Jack screams, darkness must fall in the end. And Nick Wotan lets in the Green Lanterns, who are like, um, don't know what's happening, but basically immediately see a giant vampire man and all together use their rings to create a giant stake, and they stake him. For some reason, they say Spike, but it's they stake him. That's what it is. Yeah. And as Mandrake, like, burns away, Wotan, of course, says, darkness must fall, you got that right. This multiverse's natural defenses none of you could have imagined. Don't push your luck with the judge of all evil. And so we cut to everyone recovering and, like, fixing things on Earth, and, like, it basically looks like everything's pretty much fine. They're all, like, getting rid of some of the statues and stuff of Darkseid and all the signage that were put up. Um, a lot of people we kind of thought were dead are clearly alive again. We cut further out to the monitors sphere, as Wotan is basically reporting to the rest of the monitors and everything that happened. The germ creatures themselves reestablish the symmetry of the orrery, the multiverse as they call it. I've never witnessed such industry, such intelligence, and the white-hot passions that drive them, Passion's powerful enough to trigger catastrophic changes in beings made of pure thought f- like us. For this reason, I advise immediate withdrawal of contact with the germ world, and no further exploitation. We see that Earth-51 is being reborn as... um, Well, Apocalypse is reborn as... So, like, with Darkseid gone, life comes back to Apocalypse, and it eventually is reborn as New Genesis... Because everything is a cycle. And we see that the Tiger people and the New Gods and commandy and essentially by implication all of the other like Jack Kirby DC creations get to live on forever on Earth-51 being used to reconstruct it. So yeah, as we know, Earth-51 was destroyed shortly before this and now it's Nick Swarton's able to bring it back with all Jack Kirby's creations. So Wilton goes and basically says goodbye to Wee as the panels of the comic bleed in with the white borders surrounding them. And I again, you haven't read the original Crisis. This is a classic visual from that, where um all of the universes were wiped out, were like wiped out by a wall of white blankness that pushed through the panel. And so everything disappearing into white here. Um as basically they intention- the monitors intentionally destroy themselves in order to prevent them f- from feeding on the multiverse parasitically or destroying every anything anymore for them. As Wotan says, the final crisis is ours.
0: It's a nice visual representation of just like, I guess just death or more, just the concept of non-existence, like... It's nicely done.
1: Yeah, they're, like, returning to the, the overvoid, which is, of course, the white space around the page that the artist is drawn on.
0: Except then, oh, is he just waking up as a human again?
1: Yep. Wotan is returned as a human. Um, oh, and the last thing he says to Ouija-Dell is that Superman wished for a happy happy ending on the Miracle Machine, which is how we got suddenly, you know, everyone's back on Earth and Earth is restored. And everything's being fixed. Because of source. that's what Superman would wish for.
0: And we get a page of just entirely white.
1: As we head into the epilogue, we see Anfro as an old man. He draws the Miracle Machine symbol on the wall and then passes away calmly from old age. Across his body, two hands lay down. Batman's utility belt. As Batman goes up to the wall and starts drawing the Batman logo on it. Because um, if you hadn't read Jack Kirby, the Omega effect causes time travel. It doesn't kill you.
0: Oh, okay. It makes you time travel. Yeah, I did not know what to make of this ending. Of who this was supposed to be or what. Because, like, you know, like when you... Like, to a certain degree, it sounds like it should be obvious. But just, like, you know... I had not read the old stuff. I did not know that that was what the beams were supposed to be. So I was just like, what is happening? But, huh. Okay. So Batman's
1: gone back and is now like the way that the idea of the miracle machine and the power of like the gods was implanted in men by Metron. He's implanting the idea of superheroes by leaving it with the concepts. Left by Anthro. But also, this is a lead into Batman the Return of Bruce Wayne. So, like, the Omega effect kind of does different things every time it shows up. Normally, it's the laser beams, but in the original book, it made the forever people time travel when they were attacked by it. In this case, it's part of Darkseid's backup plan, where basically Batman is going to wind up slowly coming forward in time to the present day, building up in like Darkseid evil energy well chased by like a piece of evil new gods technology that is going to cause him when he arrives in the present day to destroy everything which is the basic premise of batman the return of bruce wayne a very fun book where each issue is an entirely different genre okay um like the first issue is like caveman times the second issue is um a pirate book the third issue is the puritans in gotham like They're all set in Gotham because Gotham is somehow both a Puritan settlement and later a Wild West frontier settlement. And it's also where Homo sapiens appeared in the DC universe because that cave is the Bat Cave. Like, Anthro's Cave is the Bat Cave. Good God. Which I will give it. Makes no sense anthropologically, but is hilarious.
0: Yeah. I will give it that. The ending narration is quite nice in terms of just the way it just sort of like poetically handles the whole theme of just like death and light and yada yada, but the fire goes on forever, yada yada. It's a pretty nice ending to a comic that I didn't like large swaths of, but the ending is pretty solid. And yeah, of course, I he love has the... his bat shadow on the cave.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's he's no longer wearing the cowl. He, um, like, they took that... So the body, the, the obvious twist there is, so they mention at one point, and it's further established in, like, the actual two Batman issues that focus on this, but they were making a clone army of Batman to serve Darkseid. It's just one of the clones. Like, they just... Like, Darkseid just messed up one of the clones and left it there to make Superman mad.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay
1: it's it's yeah <laughs> um i'm pretty sure that clone body is the one that comes back to life in it yeah it is it's the one that comes back to life in like darkest night or whatever uh i've never actually read darkest night but i'm pretty sure batman is like in that it's one of the black lanterns cuz you would kind of have to do that he was like the major dead character when that book happened yeah morrison's batman and robin book is the only one that didn't have to directly tie into it So he just did a story that was like metaphorically about death, instead of being forced to do a direct tie-in like everyone else in that company was. I think, I don't know. I'm yeah, I don't know why did DC stuff pretty frequently. So yeah, I do think the ending's really strong. I love the multi-stage of like each little bit of the attempts to kill Darkseid coming in one by one, like Batman's two pages obviously freaking rule. Um, I really love the conflict with Superman, where like Darkseid's just like, well, you can't kill me, I'm made of people. What are you gonna do against that? You don't hurt innocent people. Um, Mandrax, fine. I I like the bit where everyone is summoned to just fight this evil army at like the edge of reality. Um, thank goodness that this got expanded from the literal one page that it took up in the original printed version yeah i can't even imagine reading that one i think i must have at some point but yeah that's that's final crisis we just spent three episodes talking about it
0: something like six hours maybe just shy of seven
1: we spent exactly one average cerebro length cerebro episode talking about final crisis Telling you everything important that happens and discussing some of the themes and ideas. I feel like that's fair.
0: I'm sorry if it feels a bit like it's dying out with a whimper because I don't have exciting or excited loving things to say about it in conclusion. I think it's probably still better than I thought it was going to be because there were things that I thought were good and that's about the best I could have hoped for unfortunately <laughs> the last stretch was particularly rough for me
1: it's the 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 one side effect of the breakdown of reality is it also like because the reality is the narrative the narrative breaks down which is an interesting thing in concept but then you're like hang on the narrative just broke down though
0: yeah like
1: in this comic that people have to be re- like I I I I think it I appreciate how gonzo it is. I love the way that, like, Side is written. Um, The, like, general hope and optimism of the book is, like, especially since so much of it is so much, like, dark, crappy, evil, horrible things happening, but the whole message of the book is, like, the exact opposite of those things. I like that, like, Morrison was basically, like, you want to do a big event comic, and was like, okay, I'm gonna do the weirdest thing possible. Uh, It is certainly swung
0: big, I will give it that. I prefer someone swinging big to just sort of being generic or cowardly and not trying anything, so.
1: Next we'll read Dark Crisis on Infinite Us. I'm kidding, I'm never subjecting myself to that.
0: The fact that that title sounds like a joke, but that's real, isn't it?
1: Yeah, look, because originally it was Dark Crisis, but they revealed after the second issue, actually the Crisis book is a direct sequel to the original Crisis, and I'm like, yeah, they, they they all are. They're all a sequel to the original Crisis.
0: It's in the name.
1: It's in the name, and they're like, it's actually the Dark Crisis on Infinite earth. and I'm like, that is a dumb name. Apparently Mantrak comes back in that in the tie-ins.
0: Wonderful.
1: And I'm like, okay, that's weird. The Anti-Monitor's already running around, why do you need another one? Like, you're not doing anything where you're saying something, stuff about, like, you know, the the vampiric nature of this universe being held by a company that requires it to churn a profit. So, of course, they're going to do a big event comic. Like, what what is bringing Mandrake back saying, unless you're talking about that? But you, Dark Crisis Earth is the most blatant example of that I've ever seen.
0: When did that come out?
1: Uh, I ended, like, Late last year, I think.
0: Okay, so super recent.
1: Yeah, I was doing research for this. And that's how I discovered that apparently Mandrake is in some of that. And I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Gotcha. What an insane thing to do. Yeah. Talk about just, like, reading comics literally. It's like the the C M Kong thing in Marvel, where it's like, well, we need to explain the sliding time scale How all of these characters who were in the Vietnam War... And it's just, like, ignoring that, like, there's more meaning behind it than just, like, the literal thing in the comic. It's not on the same level as that, obviously, because I don't think bringing Mandrake back is, like, pretty racist. That's just a weird thing to do. But it's, like, bringing Mandrake back for a big dumb event comic that is, like, not trying to do anything interesting is just so strange to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Dark Crisis is secretly a masterpiece, but I haven't heard anything good about it. Sorry, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth. So I shouldn't forget the whole title.
0: Well, now they have something called Dark Planet going on or something like that. Lazarus oh, uh, Planet. Oh, Lazarus
1: Planet, I think.
0: Yeah, just it never ends.
1: I, every time I look at DC, it's there's always like a new initiative or like big event happening every time I look at them. And I'm like, I thought it was bad over at Marvel.
0: If everything's an event, then nothing's an event.
1: I slow down. There's some good books in there. I- I'm reading uh the the current Doom Patrol, the first issue was real good. Apparently the second issue's out the week that we're recording this, and that apparently is even better. So like there's good stuff even like I think part of it's spinning out of this Lazarus Planet stuff, and like you just you don't need that to have good books happen. Just just let the people make good books. Anyway. This should have been the final crisis, and unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, that's why all the monitors die at the end.
0: Are so they? They back don't yet. do this anymore. Are they back yet?
1: The monitors? I well, by default, I guess, because the anti-monitor has been back since the Dark Side War. Like I think Flashpoint brought him back, and it's revealed that his real name is Mobius, and the Mobius chair that Metron rides around in is named after the anti-monitor. Which is an insult to Jack Kirby, in my opinion. That's just mean. Why would you do that to him? And then Mandrak is back, and he's a monitor. So, yeah, I guess. I don't think the, like, species is back. And I don't know if the original monitor's been brought back. Although, if anything was gonna do with it, it would be Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? But I think the main villain of that is, like, a thing from a single issue of an Alan Moore comic. Like, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Yeah. And then, like, Pariah, who's a character from the original Crisis, is, like, a big part of it. I don't know, it's a comic that I've read the wiki entries of, because I was like, what do you mean there's another thing with track in it? He's not even in the main one, he's in, like, a tie-in. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. Hey, what do we cover next week?
0: So, that's a great question.
1: <laughs> um... <laughs>
0: Had had one plan, but that's going to involve having a specific guest on that we're going to wait on for time scheduling reasons. So the thing I've been planning on us doing for like a month or two, we will not be doing yet. And I have spent the last week pondering. And I have spent the last day pondering. And in the back of my mind, I have spent this recording pondering as... I was not 100% committed to what we are going to do next, but I think we are going to essentially try and pivot about as far away from a DC comic superhero event book as we possibly can by doing a erotic webcomic. We're going to be reading Starfighter by Hamlet Machine. I have been debating how much, Probably the first two chapters of it have been trying to estimate, like, how much provides, like, an episode's worth of discussion. So probably just the first two chapters. Maybe if you read it this week and think we need to do more, we can expand and do chapter free, too. But have you ever heard of Starfighter?
1: I have not, but I just Googled it.
0: Yeah, starfightercomic.com. It's available for free. So don't even need to use a hoopla rental on it. But yeah, this is a, I think it's fair to say, cult classic gay Oh sci-fi wow, this gets comic. off to a strong start. Yep, it kind of makes Fangs look sexless and Puritan. But yeah, we're gonna talk about Starfighter.
1: Okay then.
0: I can only imagine what you're seeing on your screen right now.
1: I'm wondering if we're slipping into void territory.
0: We shall see. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.